top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins, the show bringing you all the action from the Premier League, Syria, England, and Italy. I'm your host, Matt, joined by my co-host, Redacted, out on bail, out on temporary leave. How you doing tonight? Yeah, man, man don't know about no dumb. All right, we're not, <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing the accent. We're not doing the accent. What's up? In the studio today. Live and in the flesh. Woo. Um, our first... Top bins in person. In a long time. In a very, very long time. It was the five-year anniversary of Underground Sports Philadelphia as a whole. So we're all together tonight to uh, celebrate that and do the main pod, which I would encourage you to check out. Because we're also previewing the Super Bowl. So maybe you're into that. A little bit of hand egg, right? Yeah, a little hand egg, if you will. Um, but, you know, obviously, the soccer don't stop. The football don't stop. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the, the week that was... Not a great week for us personally, as far as uh, as far as our favorite team go. Mm. And that's where we're going to start tonight in Italy. Uh, Inter won Milan nil, the Milan derby over the weekend. One of the most anticipated games of the Italian calendar every year. Always look for when these games pop onto our screen. It was, in, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about this. I felt like it was a very uninspiring performance by Milan. I did not think that they created nearly enough. I thought they were actually lucky that this wasn't two or three nil. You know, a few uh, marginal offside decisions, which were offsides, of course, but still close calls. And I think Inter really were just in cruise control for a lot of this game, especially that mm -hmm. first half. I felt like uh, mm -hmm. it was very much all Inter, and you know, this Milan team has become sort of a shadow of, of themselves and where they've been pre-World Cup. Pioli's trying to like get them out of like the funk they're in, so he's trying new things with formation switches. And you know, when you're form when you're switching a formation mid season, it, it, that that is a sign of like your your manager hitting the panic button almost. It's like you know you practice and you train so much to really solidify tactics that you're setting up for a specific formation and now you're completely switching it not only that in one of the center midfield spots you're playing a right winger and then you're playing a right back in like a right mid spot where he's expected to get up and down the field more when instead of him just staying back like he normally does in a back four you're playing a young center back that is still showing so many mistakes in game uh when you have another young center back that you spent a lot of money for and he's not getting any playing time. I mean, he got in, and when he came in, he looked better than the one who started over him. I mean, 
like I don't I, I really don't know what it is now. It's just a culmination of a bunch of different things with Milan. There's there's like post World Cup like you know drop in form. Uh, the coach is 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 losing control of the team in a little bit. You know the morale is low. Uh, young players aren't getting the time that they need to 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 get up to league speed, and 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 players that uh seem to seem to have a lot of promise have not been able to prove themselves yet. Um, it's 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 really 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 concerning. I mean, and even even at that, like Milan only lost one nil. Uh, like you said, marginal offsides. Uh, the one, ch- the best chance of the game, Giroud takes a bad touch on a layoff from Leal, and and completely you know screws up that chance. And you know, it, like Milan is still getting chances, but they're not, you know, taking advantage of of converting the the chances that the other teams are giving when they're making mistakes. And and that's what a, a good team needs to do is capitalize on another team's mistakes and. I I just I wish I had an answer. That's the thing. I don't know what 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 the answer is. There's you know rumors of coaching changes and this and that, but like it's people want uh, Redbird and Cardinale to sell the team. You know I've brought back the "We Are So Rich" memes because that's just what it seems. It, it's giving me you know weird flashbacks of 2013, 14 when you're on the precipice of like falling into another one of those like terrible you know consecutive years of bad form finishing sixth seventh even worse like it's it's very concerning right now yeah i I think what's interesting is that milan have had this drop off mid-season you know sometimes you see teams for you know the 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 next year they go into just to think of liverpool right like that's obviously my example but you know like last year challenging for everything you know two games away from a quadruple and then this year just a completely different team it's it's more common to see that rather than you know go away for a month you know for this world cup break and come back and it's so different you know just looking even to like underlying numbers you know like um expected goals against you know two of their highest you know uh or, or lowest or worst performance everyone but like 3.1 2.2 those are those are high-end numbers for them to be you know conceding for the whole season the last three games here's their expected goals in each game uh, 0.3, 0.6, 0.7. Um, the game before that, 1.4, then 0.9. Like, that's a terrible run. You know, you look through the, the first half, first even like three quarters of the season, you know, before the World's Cup break, they're hitting numbers like that maybe once or twice, you know, in that span. And you're talking like 20 games. You know, they've continually now, each game after the break, have looked really bad. And I'm pretty I think sure that's that the concerning part. Is it's. It's not. It's not common for midseason this without it. Without it being like an injury crisis, which Milan don't really have. Like obviously, Manon has been out, but he was out even before the World Cup. There's like a weird. There's a weird air like around that whole thing too. The fact that he keep that it's still like postponing of that injury. I read today that he's. They're hopeful that he'll be back for March eighth for the second leg against Spurs because original his original return date was, was actually team. was in the winter and then it got pushed to like sort of a hard date of february 14th or 15th which, whichever day they play was when he was supposed to return um and yeah it's now pushed to early march and it's like a knee injury right so like that's uh, it's something like lower body for sure it's like knee or ankle i can't remember which one but um it is concerning you know when you consider like the team there does seem to be like a common setback mm-hmm. and like you mentioned too like you know they've only played uh, a three back 
one other time this season against Cremonese, actually, uh, one of the, like right before the World Cup break. And then uh, they draw that game. Yeah, it was uh, it was nil nil. And then they they tried it a, a few weeks ago too in the Coppa Italia. Yeah. Um, when they lost to Torino, uh, to ten man Torino, of course too. So yeah, it, it's a it's a departure from how they played. You know, like you have the Rotfalliau stuff too. Uh, you know, he doesn't get started in in the last two games, and you have your most effective player and one of the best players in Syria not starting. While Pioli's coming out and publicly saying like he needs more from him and and like, I, being very critical of him and saying you know a lot a lot of a lot of things that are concerning. About I think if I'm if I'm if I'm reading to that yes, there's uh, like I would have to imagine that you know, there's a lot of rumors about him leaving this summer, and I think if Milan are smart, they should actually they should. really entertain that because you know they if there's been one misstep over the last two or three seasons with Milan and how they've sort of retold this team is that they have let a lot of transfer fees kind of walk out the door, right? You've let a lot of guys go for free that you could have recouped some money for, reinvest in the squad a little bit better, and maybe you'd be in a better position, healthier position this season if you'd been able to refresh the squad a little bit more. So I think that's been a, a big area of concern that we've talked about too, is that, you know, Luis Cassier over the summer have not adequately replaced him. Mm-hmm. I can tell you D. Valkarigi is, like, a nice guy and has given me some, like, beautiful moments in my life. He's not a reliable forward. He just isn't. He's, he's a he's a good, like, bench option and can give you, like, some some big moments every now and again, but is not someone that should be starting in a Milan Dart, in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I just don't know that that's really the spot for him um, and that you're so dependent on Giroud still. Like, I think they're, like, big, like bigger picture roster concerns even still though this team is performing very well at the start of the season and it's it's just kind of mystifying that they've had this drop off in form and it's not just one area either like it's it's across the board I, I think um has been the big concern and, and again this game was slightly better in that they were able to limit Inter Milan but there's this great quote from Rafa Benitez where he talks about you know, sometimes when you have these like and it's been the same case with Liverpool this season I've thought about a lot too where it's like if you don't have like the right quality, if you don't have the right everything, it's like trying to sleep with too short of a blanket. No matter which way you pull it, you're going to be uncomfortable. If it's if you, if you try and cover your feet, you know your torso is going to be uncovered. Then you try and pull that up when now your feet are uncovered. Like you're constantly yo-yoing between trying to be more defensively solid, but now you can't create anything. To okay, well let's move the slider the other way and let's let's try and focus on attack. Well now you're conceding too much. You're like. It just happens sometimes mm-hmm. where you, when you don't have that quality that you're maybe used to having or that you you did have once before, um, and, then, and there's a drop off there that it's hard to find that like balancing act again and, and find your common ground. I think that's where Milan are at right now too. Um, I saw an interesting take online. Somebody was saying that Gazidis was the actual glue that kind of held everything together within the football operations project of Milan, because like ever since he kind of left. And Maldini has had full range now. Like I'm, I'm one to you know always have support for Maldini, but like it seems like he's not handled this as well without Gazidis kind of being there by his side and like talking about a lot of this. Of course, it doesn't help when you have owners that don't want to spend the money for uh, uh, some of the bigger signings that they may want. Like we're we're talking about a Maldini that flew to Ibiza so that he could meet with Teo Hernandez to convince him to sign. Right, like Maldini has shown that he can make the big moves. I feel like he just needs somebody in place to give him the okay. Maldini is also, for being like a executive, still pretty inexperienced. Yeah, you know, like he's someone like all you know, 
that has not had a lot of time and a, a ton of experience doing these types of things. And I think it's, it's not an easy transition to make. Um, and not everyone is cut out for like being at the very top level. Like Maldini, I think is very good, probably like interpersonal stuff. I think negotiating with players because he has such obviously like a ton of esteem for being such a great player. And so, and I think he has a great understanding too, like naturally as you would of guys and their motivations and, and what fulfills them and how to like connect with them still. Like, I think those are just kind of ever present things that are, are always going to be relevant to him, but it is a different thing when you're like being like the director of the team mm -hmm. rather than just like an executive who's helping make like crucial signings, identify targets, you know, like um, identify areas of improvement, like ways, ways to make the team better. So yeah. And the opposite side of this, so is that inter, you are the only team left standing now in, you know, <laughs> this kind of top four race that have, have started to put like consistent results together. Um, we've, I think at times called them like the Jekyll and Hyde team like we had for Lazio last season, although Lazio have started to reclaim that title a little bit even. <laughs> um, Inter, I think, you know, on any given day, for me, have been you know, one of the one of the best teams in Serie A this year and that they, they can beat anyone. They're the only team that can say that they beat Napoli yeah, domestically this season in, in the league at least. So, um, you know, I, I I think it's it's a good result for them. Obviously, I think, you know, and we'll touch on Napoli a little bit, but just Napoli seems so untouchable in terms of uh, where they go. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Napoli in the Champions League. I think Inter, maybe, you know, like, it's just the ability, I think, for them for one game to have, like, a really, really strong performance. And I think there's not too many teams in Europe that I think can match them on their best day. It's just when do you get those best days? How often do you get them and consistently? Mm -hmm. Um but they, they, for me, have like a really high ceiling in terms of, uh, of how they can perform. But it's, it's, it's just too varied. But I think that can, you know, if you just catch the right results in like a cup competition, which you're seeing right now with them too in the Coppa Italia, um, you know, that could, that could obviously lead to, to silverware. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about Napoli? Yeah, let's talk about Napoli because they win again at the weekend. It is our, it's the familiar faces, Kvartoskelia and Osimen that get the goals and They're so good, uh, so involved with one another. And yeah, I think it, it's it's obvious to me now too that they're they're kind of just on the title title charge, and you know they're the thirteen thirteen points clear. There's still a good chunk of season left. Like we just just barely eclipsed the halfway mark, but it is hard to see them kind of slipping up in any way here, or anyone's really been consistent enough to catch them. I feel like everyone we talk about from two to six, it's like well we just have not seen consistency. You know, Napoli have just really taken advantage of that fact and had such a historic start to the season too um they have almost a full month's worth of wins like lead yeah. on every team that's crazy like it would take such a huge collapse for them to give up a lot of these points to to even places two through four it's you know with the consistency that they've shown and you know the fact that they have more than one weapon in the attack it, it's really their Scudetto to win. I, I don't see another team catching up to them. Even with how good Inter has been, and Inter has a ton of threats on their team, I mean, it, it just the way that Napoli have just been so consistent, it doesn't matter who they're playing, right? When they're playing the smaller clubs, the mid-table and lower-table teams, they're winning by three, four goals. When they're playing the big teams, they're normally winning and, and grinding out a win or they, they surprise the big team and, and smash them, right? The only time that we really didn't see that was when they played Inter. Um, so, like, th this team 
is just rolling. I feel like we just say the same thing about him every week, it, it, and it's true. Like, literally every single week, they're playing really, really well. Yeah, on both sides of the ball, too, like, tag-wise, defensively, too. It's another clean sheet for them. And, you know, they don't have the best defensive record in Serie A, but they are, you know, one of the, the two or three best teams in Serie A this season at limiting chances, you know, shots on target and, and all those metrics that you, you want to be good at. And I think now, too, it starts to become a discussion about, like, you know, it's it's too early to say this, of course, but I think we'll be talking about it in May and June, like, their place kind of in, you know, Italian like top flight history in terms of like how dominant of a, mm-hmm. a title win this could be you know like it, there's still a lot of ways to go here but um in terms of like what they could potentially achieve it's a lot you know like there's just there's just a lot there and um you know Kavaradana too is like obviously everyone's gonna be signing of the season but he's just been such a gem like it just such a gem of a player um he's got eight goals nine assists very unselfishly gives one up to Osimhen over the weekend and you can see their connection and how strong it is and uh, what like great chemistry they have. Um, men actually out jumped Ronaldo's very famous uh, Sampdoria jump by like 0.02 meters over the weekend to, to win his header. Um, so we don't have to listen to that nonsense anymore. That's uh, that's in our, our rear view mirror <laughs> now, but yeah, I, I think for me, like, again, just, just watching them play and, um, you know how how good they've been. You they they they've passed every test along the way, and um, Spezia are sort of circling the drain a little bit, which is uh, you would concern me if I'm a Spezia fan because you know, that that relegation zone is looking um, bigger and bigger in terms of uh, its pull towards you lately. Um, but Napoli have just been great to watch, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them in the Champions League and uh, seeing how they get on because like we've talked about, I think they have they got a decent shot at it. You know, yeah. they, I really do. It would be really interesting to see Napoli pull off the double if that's the case. It would be really, really interesting. That would be really cool to see. Don't like, get to see that very often, especially no. from an Italian team. Yeah, like, like I, I think really the last time you've seen a team kind of pull off a double like that is, I mean, Inter when they won the treble. Yeah. I mean, Juve probably pulled off a double, but it's a domestic double. It didn't include the Champions League trophy. Yeah, so. Juve did the, the domestic double quite a few times. Yeah, but a double the with the Champions League is really cool to see. So, um, yeah, I mean... It's always such a stigma if you're a fan of an Italian team to root for another Italian team as well. They're always like, "Oh, how can you not, how can you vote for or root for somebody else? We root for our own type deal." Like, uh, no, nah, I would love I would love to see Napoli like have that kind of success in Europe. Yeah, me too. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Because um, God knows, my, my team isn't going to be successful in Europe this year, so I might as well find somebody else to latch on to. It is in the history of the Tottenham to beat Manchester City one 0 <laughs> Uh, let's just talk real quickly about Roma too, because um, their team that I found interesting, Tammy, Tammy Abraham, I, he took it right out of the words right out. They they beat Empoli two nil, um, sort of solidify their their place back in the top four because that's a constant shuffle in Italy uh, every every Saturday and Sunday now. We're, we're just constantly the live table shuffling everyone around. Tammy Abraham has been really good uh, since returning from the World's Cup. Three goals and two assists. Uh, he has seven goals, four assists total in the season in Serie A. So he's, he, you know, he was one of the players I think that was missing a lot of big chances in the beginning of the year. If you look at like Roma's expected goal difference, expected goal numbers, like they've really been underperforming, underperforming in that department. You know, they've actually been very similar uh, to like Napoli's expected output, but have just not been able to, you know, have the same quality of finishing at times. And sometimes luck too, you know, that, that becomes part of it. But um, 
you know, they, they've, again, they've, they've been inconsistent at moments. I still think it's, it's a team that like talent and quality wise is probably not actually the third best team in Italy, you know, but the, yet they've performed at that standard that they are sitting in the third spot. You know, they, they would be qualifying for champions league right now. Like, I think those are things that deserve a lot of credit for. And I think if Tammy Abraham hits like that gear that we've seen him be like in, in Syria last year, especially like, I think that that could be a real impetus for them firmly, firmly finishing in the top yeah. four and, and, uh, and being one of the top teams in Italy this year, because I think, um, I think again, that that's really all they missed from, from the first part of the season was that they just were not reliably scoring goals. And, yeah. you know, if they, if they get that back, that's, that's such a huge boost. Roma put a lot of faith in Tammy as well. You know, they sold, uh, Nicolo Zaniolo to Galatasaray. So, uh, you know, the bulk of the goal scoring is going to have to come from him and, and from some of the supporting cast. But, you know, he's he's another one of those guys who, who made the move to the Premier League or from the Premier League to Serie A and has kind of flourished and almost like revitalized his career, kind of like stagnated at Chelsea. You know, in, in, in recent times, it's like him and Tomori. They, they came over to Serie A and they kind of have burst onto the scene bigger than they could in England. And, uh, you know, that's even like guys like Chris Smalling years ago, you know, who was like, kind of you know a top center back with Manchester United at the time but when he went to Roma I mean he was on a different level like he was one of the best center backs in the league at the time so um you know Tammy's just another one of those players he makes the move he fits the league real well he gets along with his coach the system that they play you know fits his play style and and you know you see the fruits of that uh and and their success is directly related to how well he's been playing yeah, I, I, I think where they go, he as he goes, they go. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I think that's that's gonna be the story there, um, over the second half of the season for Roma. So looking forward to all that. Let's jump over to England. We uh we had a managerial change of course, Everton hiring Sean Dyche. That was not official last week, but it, it felt very likely. I think we mentioned it on the show that he was a, a very likely candidate, no more Frank Lampard. Um they beat Arsenal. Arsenal have not historically being winners at Goodison Park um, doesn't help when you have new manager bounce. Everton looked like a completely different team against Arsenal, mm-hmm. much more composed, just better all around. I, you know, everything about them looked much, much, much improved, even just the short week. And I think it's it's so funny to me. Like you, you see these moments, and it's just it just really tells you that sometimes confidence and just having like a different voice, like what a what a difference that can make to yeah. like an environment. And it's, it's so clear that's what happened here. Um, but it's the first big kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's it's the first time we've ever seen Arsenal, like, lose in a way that, like, is, uh, you know, like, the only other loss this season was to Manchester United in the game that was a little frustrating. Um, but it's the first time that you really felt like they really got outperformed and also, like, felt like one that got away from them. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just curious how they, like, as a team respond to that. Of course, they have some big games coming up. Um, so it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how, how they you know, bounce back. So they do have Manchester city in the next week. And that's obviously going to be a massive game on, on both sides. Um, yeah, I think it was just one of those trap games where you, they, they come into it like with the, with the mentality, like, Oh, it's just Everton. Like everybody's beating Everton. They have a new manager. This should be easy for us. And, you know, Everton kind of catches them on the, you know, on the wrong foot. And it just happened to be that day. I don't think they're, you know, as a fan or, you know, as a as a member of the club, I don't think there's cause for panic or concern or anything. You know, just fix the things you need to fix it in training. And, and like you said, prepare for Man City. Is that, that game is obviously big. Uh, 
they got some help this week from from uh, an unlikely Tottenham, friend, an unlikely right? friend in uh, in Tottenham. Um, yeah, just on on Arsenal, I think I I I, I like I said, I, I'm really curious to see how they respond to this because they have not had to face like the adversity like this this year. Like it's just it's all looked very easy for them in a good way. I don't mean that as like a negative thing, but I just mean like. They've looked very comfortable. They look very happy, and they've gotten these big emotional momentum wins. They had against Manchester United the week before or last week. I, I it all blends together at this point. But you know, they had these like big comebacks. So they have these these really tight games that they're getting. They're getting the like title winning montage moments. Um, and you know, I think it's easy to forget sometimes within those title winning seasons that there can be these blips. And it's so important how you respond for them. Um, and it is a young team that does not have all the experience that some other like past title winning teams necessarily have. Um, and so to me, it's going to be very crucial to see how they respond to all of this pressure mm-hmm. now. Um, because, you know, again, like you said, they, they got a little bit of a favor from Spurs who, who beat Manchester city one nil. Um, you know, so at least Manchester city doesn't make up ground on them, but Harry Kane uh, breaks Jimmy Gray's record uh, for, for being Spurs top goal scorer. Uh, obviously now like the, the bigger site is Alan Shearer's uh, goal scoring record. Um, we'll see if he gets there. What a great trophy for Tottenham. You know, I, I think it's really interesting to me because Harry Kane is such a, a fascinating player because he's obviously so talented. He's very good. He's one of the best strikers I've seen, especially in England. I Like, the only striker I think is, like, 100% ahead of him. That, that I don't think it's in base, uh, Thierry Henry. Um, on, like, pure talent, too, I would say, like, Luis Suarez is, like, in a much different category. Like You put him above Wayne Rooney? Thierry Henry? No, no, no. Luis no, no, Suarez? No, Harry Kane. I would put him, I think they're on the same tier to me. Like, I think they are in, I think they're in the comparable players mm-hmm. at this point. Um, you know, like what he's done is, is just impressive. Like he, obviously, yeah, he doesn't have the like silverware to show for it, um, which isn't totally his fault either. You know, like it, it's such a hard thing. Like quality wise. Yeah. I mean, the, like the way that, that, Kane plays as a center forward, you know, more than just the goal scoring, but his distribution and helping the build up play and releasing the wingers down the down the sides. Very, yeah, it's definitely very comparable to Rooney. Yeah, I, th- I think he's just, and I, I would say too, like his like peak as a as a goal scorer is probably higher than than Rooney's uh, ability was as well. Like this is a guy that's hit like like high twenties like goal marks with with regularity in the Premier League, and that's. That was never really Rooney's thing. Like he, he maybe had like one or two seasons like that, but Rooney was always a little bit more of even like a secondary striker, you know, rather than like the the primary guy. Um, he was a bit more of like a glue attacker. Like he was one that th- the game kind of like revolved around Rooney and his movement, and he was not always like the finisher, right? Like if you look at like Manchester United's history, like a lot of times he's partnered with like Carlos Tevez. Ruben Nistelrooy, Robin Van Persie, Robin Van Persie, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, these guys that are you know more known for like goal scoring prowess than him, um, but he's like the great at that support and he's great at late runs and he's a good goal scorer himself too. I don't I don't want to diminish his ability, but you know I, I think Harry Kane is, uh, I, yeah I think it's it's really Harry Kane and Rooney and Aguero, you know in like sort of that tier below Thierry Henry because I think you know that you have to have like longevity too. You know like Luis Suarez is one of the most talented players I've ever seen play in my life, but just did not have the like long standing history in the league. Like those guys that you know, he only plays in England for like three, four seasons, you know? So it's like, it's, it's hard to say that he's, you know, on, on the same level or better. Um, 
if you're looking at it from like a historical aspect. But for Manchester City in this game, I think uh, a sloppier performance than what's been typical of them um, in years past, but has been one of the worrying things for me this year with them is like these these moments where they just don't look as organized as we're used to seeing them. And there's a little bit more chaos. And then, I mean, obviously too, we get the breaking story this week that they've been charged with like a hundred yep. breaches of financial rules. And we have no clue where that investigation is going to go. And I imagine it's going to take a long time to be resolved because it's, it's a massive legal question. And it's very important for the league, I think, to get this right. Um, I would just say, as a totally not unbiased person, um, it's obvious that they've been doing something to cook the books, so to speak, right? Like to, to add money in uh, in other ways, in other forms. So Economic levers. Economic levers, for sure. And I would just like to see, you know, I'd, I'd like to see some accountability for that. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. But, you know, I... <laughs> I, th- I think there's kind of a cloud a little bit over City right now, and there has been for most of this year. And I think back to the summer when we were previewing the season, and I think we both felt that Manchester City and Liverpool could probably take a small step back from where they were. Like, I didn't totally anticipate them being like the like mid-90 point range. You know, maybe it's just going to be like mid to high 80s, just because there was a lot of turnover within the team. And I think both of them have struggled this year at times. Now, City have looked better overall and still have the chance at the title. You know, for, for as much doom and gloom as I think we've talked about them like generally and, and people have talked about them generally they're still within five points of the title you know and like have two games against Arsenal you know they're still very much in the race and then they're still a team that they could break off nine or ten wins in a row and we wouldn't be surprised but I do wonder if there's just a so much change and I I, I think you know you have the Jao Cancelo uh departure Kyle Walker at different times this year too has been sort of seems like at least in the background feuding with pep a little bit or there's been some some aggression or like rift there um de bruyne hasn't looked as like otherworldly this year either you know and you wonder if just maybe like fatigue is setting in like he's just played a lot over the last few years and he just looks a little bit like lacking for timing um at least in recent weeks he has so yeah i think it's it's a little concerning for city but they have not gone to to spurs and won recently um that has just been like not the method for them like spurs have been usually a pretty big help to who's ever in the title race against Manchester city uh because they they frequently have taken points off of them they're just one of those teams and some teams yeah. that's just the way it is you you have you have guys that you just you can't get points against so um gotta pour it out for a real one jesse marsh <sighs> gone but certainly not forgotten uh he uh relieved of duties at leeds Considering their league position, I'm not surprised, but I think it should be mentioned that he came in last year to a team that had a ton of injury issues and had conceded a ton of goals and was able to reshape that team in the you know the last three months of the season and get them to stay up when it looked like they were definitely going to be relegated. Um, so I think he deserves some credit for that work. But it's weird because I've watched Leeds a few times this season. I watched the most recent game this week. I think it's Nottingham Forest, and the team played well. It's just these little moments where, like, Someone just doesn't have the right touch, not the right finish. You know, these little like moments of quality that are just, it's hard to really lay at the feet of the manager, right? Like, cause clearly if your system is working and creating those chances, it's up to the players to maybe have a little bit more like final quality. And they just haven't had that in moments, which I think could, I'm certainly could be a little frustrating for Jesse Marsh, but um, 
Leeds today, though, you know, rebounded pretty well, actually. Uh, they, they get a 2-2 draw with Manchester United. Um, that's, a, that's a nice result. It is a good result. And, you know, they, they play each other again in, like, the next week uh, because that's just the way the, the Premier League has worked lately where you have, like, City and Spurs playing each other, uh, like, within quick order. Now uh, Leeds and, and Manchester United. Um, Kaylor Navas had his debut in that game and uh, looked amazing. Who knew? Who knew a guy that's won multiple Champions Leagues is going to be uh, really, really good at it, <laughs> at, at saving the ball? Who knew? That's that's really surprising oh, to me. So, um, Do you think uh, the Americans that got brought in get liquidated once a new manager comes in? No shot, because Tyler Adams is still very important to that team. Um, what about Weston? I think Weston is good, too. I think McKenney is, is a good midfielder. He's a little inconsistent, you know, especially from his time at Juventus. Like He had games where he looked like the best midfielder on that team. Aside games where he looked like a complete passenger, like he just has, he he's a very like hot and cold player, and I do think his like, he's a very like good like physical midfielder, like he's good at winning like individual challenges, like certainly can't complain about energy with him, and that sort of suits the Premier League style. Um, but there were even a few times today watching them where like him and Tyler Adams both like, are not always like in like the high pressure like final third situations picking the right pass like or, or trying something a little too elaborate like sometimes they need to like focus on more the, the simple aspect um so i'm curious to see where leads go from here who they hire and because they're obviously they're they're in a little bit of a tough situation again in terms of uh, of where they sit on the table um you're just outside the relegation zone which right now is everton bournemouth and southampton in it um, but leads are just uh, a point above everton so you know there's there's room <laughs> there's there's room to improve for them and uh, I'm, I'm curious to see just who they get in because that's going to be a very important hire because you expect you know with everton to probably improve over the course of the year you know with with, with sean dice now you where you have like a almost a half a season to work with that wolves have have improved you know they beat liverpool over the weekend pretty soundly and you know they've, they've been kind of on an up uptick ever since they got uh lopetegui and you know we talked about this too like a few weeks ago at, the, at that point, a lot of these teams that were in the relegation zone hadn't fired their manager. Now pretty much everyone has, except for West Ham. Um, everyone in, in the bottom six has changed managers this year. You know, Wolves, Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth, Southampton have all, have all changed. Even Aston Villa, who were, like, in that sort of range earlier now, you know, who sit uh, 11th in the table, you know, they, they get uh, Unai Emery. And, like, teams have not been afraid of, of chopping and changing when they felt like they've had to. And... You know, I, I wonder if West Ham, certainly they have the quality, but have just not had, like, the total consistency this year. I do wonder, David Moyes' job is already, I think, under some scrutiny. I wonder where that goes from there. Did they get a good point against Newcastle over the weekend? You know, that's a, that's a good result in, in general terms. But yeah, it's definitely been a huge underperformance for West Ham this year. Mm -hmm. Just looking ahead to the weekend, um, we've got some good games, uh, especially in England. You know, like I mentioned, uh, Leeds and Manchester United play again this Sunday. Um, Monday, you have the, the Merseyside Derby uh, between Liverpool and Everton. The big, you know, showstopper, though, is next Wednesday. Uh, we have Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, title challenge at the top. You love it. We got to see them play in the FA Cup uh, a few weeks ago, and that was fun. It was a really, really good game that uh, Manchester City uh, ended up winning. Um, so I'm looking forward to one with a little more stakes in terms of, you know, uh, the title and, and the league and um, I think there's there's gonna be a lot there so there's plenty to keep your eyes on uh, Juventus Fiorentina to, to look out for this weekend in Italy uh, Lazio Atalanta a really important top four game um, 
you know, and then of course, you know, we have the, the return to the champions league, right? Like when Valentine's day rolls around, you start to get these, these fixtures back Dom for your Valentine's day treat. You got Milan Tottenham. That's going to be great. I, I, I'm completely focused on spending the day with my fiance. I am not, I'm not even going to watch the game. It's just, it's just cause you love her so much. That's yeah. It certainly has only, nothing to do with Milan's form <laughs> only because I love her so, so much. And we're getting married, you know, in December, you know, that, I want to set that up well with a with a nice Valentine's Day. I just, you know, just can't even think about me on that. Day. I'm Pontari, wife guy. Yeah. Um, PSG Bayern that day as well, <laughs> um, which is really uh, that's that's going to be a good one. Uh, Kylian Mbappe is apparently dealing with a thigh injury. Uh, all hmm. Julian Nagelsmann does not believe that though. He, he's calling bullshit um, and saying that Kylian Mbappe would definitely be playing uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, you got Dortmund, Chelsea, and Club Rouge, and Benfica. A little bit of a hipster day, I would call it, you know, like, uh, except for Chelsea. It's like, oh, well, this is actually this really cool team from Belgium you've never heard of, but uh, they're really they're really cool. You should you should look them up. Um, so that's that's this week in Champions League. Um, next week, you obviously have Liverpool, Real Madrid, Frankfurt, Napoli, Inter, Porto, Leipzig, and Man City. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to them when we get to them. I did already bet against Liverpool advancing. Um, I bet I bet some money on Real Madrid beating them. So. That's never a bad bet. Yeah, yeah. It pains me to say, but I mean, you learned last year putting your money in Real Madrid is a is a. I I didn't investment. I didn't bet on them to win the Champions League just because they haven't been as imperious this year. Um, but I do think they're certainly good enough to be beating this Liverpool team, which has just looked pathetic over the last few weeks. So. That's where I'm at. I, I I think I'm still gonna get myself involved with a, a Napoli future bet. I think that's that's where my money is is calling. But as long as the odds are still there, I mean, it's not a. I think I think they're still plus twelve hundred. So, yeah. which I think is right around where Madrid were at this time last year. It was around twelve hundred or fifteen hundred. I can't quite remember. But we got Champions League back. Premier League games are, are looking really tasty. We got some good Serie A stuff uh, at the weekend as well. Um, Dom, anything to say before we get? Because it? it's Super Bowl weekend for us too, you know. So that's yeah. gonna that is certainly gonna take up a lot of our time. But anything to say before we get out of here? Um, no, actually, follow me on Twitch. I don't know when I'm gonna stream again. However, um, I do have some ideas on potentially getting some of these underground sports guys involved with the Twitch streams or some content for YouTube. So, uh. Follow the uh, YouTube pages, Underground Sports YouTube page, um, and uh, follow my YouTube page. Actually, search a Harry Ape on Twitter, start, or on Twitter, uh, search a Harry Ape on uh, YouTube. Go subscribe to the channel, hit the bell for the notifications so you don't miss out on any content when I do upload content. You love to go see birds, it. go birds, uh, go Liverpool, Fort Milan. Milan. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh very melancholy over this was this was a marathon uh evening for us in terms of uh podcast content so you know i think i think in some ways we did we did good today we put in a lot of good work a lot of good hours check out the main show to yours reminisce a little bit on the uh the past five years that was uh if you're into american football of course previewed the uh, the super bowl there keep out some i think very astute betting advice as well i may end up back in jail uh, Dom may end up back in jail, but uh, we'll let you know next week his status, uh, if he's out on remand or not. Uh, but until next week, we'll see you 
post-Champions League, post-Manchester City Arsenal as Dom is looks like an absolute nightmare if you want to look on YouTube to see just a true... Where, where is this? There we go. It's still pretty scary. He's wearing a balaclava. Not a baklava, of course. If Dom was wearing baklava, I'd be a... My stomach would be grumbling a lot more. Uh, we'll talk to you next week after the games, after all that, to break it all down. Until then, see ya.